We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Datables, welcome to a spanking new episode of the Datable Podcast. If you didn't know what we talk about just by the name itself, we are talking about modern dating, not data science. But we could. There's some data science to all of this. Last week. Yeah. (laughs) This week we have a lot in store. I guess we are numbers people because we are talking about families of three. And it's not what you think. And no we hit our 300th episode. So that makes us numbers people in itself. Three is our lucky number. (laughs) 300 episodes is a big as accomplishment. And I know I posted this in our community, but there is a thing in podcasting called pod fading, Mm. which 
75% of the 2 million podcasts out there fade out within the first year. So the fact that we've made it to almost seven years with 300 episodes just means there's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into this. <laughs> it has been a journey. I feel like the other day I was re-listening to one of our older episodes, uh-huh. and I was just like, damn, we've come a long way. <laughs> when you listen to our earlier seasons, it's almost like when you go through your childhood <laughs> photos. You know, you're like, oh, I can't believe I wore that. <laughs> that is how I feel when I right? listen to that. I can't believe I used to go to that place. I can't believe I had that haircut. Like, that's how you feel. Or at least that's how I feel about what we talk about. It didn't even sound like the same podcast. It basically was a totally different podcast when we first well, started. Good, because we're also right. like six years younger then and yeah. didn't have all those experiences, didn't talk to the thousands of people who are going into this. So I hope that in five, six years from now, we're going to sound totally different than we do today, too. I think that is exactly it. Like at the beginning, it was more funny dating stories and not yeah. nearly as deep, but we didn't have that that knowledge back then. We kind of needed all those stories to build on the topics that are current day. So more on this to come, but UA and I are definitely working hard to dissect all the stuff we've learned. That is one of our secret projects that we're working on. Well, and the not-so-secret project is our Finding Your Person program <laughs> that we are relaunching very soon. This is the place where we've put all of our years of mm-hmm. experience, anecdotes, pattern recognition, data, all of it into one to really crack the code on finding that special person for you. Does this program guarantee you're going to find your person? No, because nobody can guarantee you're going <laughs> to find your person. But we've had so many success stories, even from people who haven't found their person, but who feel completely ready now. Yeah. Oh my God. Can we read some of them? Because I feel like seeing those come in on Instagram, like this, UA and I had a text drag that was, this is why we do what we do. Because they're just, this gives us so much joy to get messages like this. Uh, And also it's a completely self-guided program. So we also have people in it who haven't completed yet. And then we have people who completed maybe in like the first month or two. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see people's experiences uh, based on where they are in the course. Uh, Someone wrote in and said, I was part of your last Finding Your Person program and just wanted to share. It worked. I gave someone a chance I would have filtered out before. And we've been happily dating for a couple months now. Keep sharing your dating wisdom. That's amazing. That makes me so, so, so happy. This one says, so glad you're doing this course again. It transformed my dating and how I was viewing dating. I'm 100% sure I will find my person, but doing this course helped me realize that I was putting way too much pressure on dating in order to have a kid. So this person actually decided they're going to be a single mom, have a kid on their own, and then find a person without that pressure of having a kid. That's amazing because, you know, I think a big part of it, like you said, of course, we want everyone to walk out on the street after doing this program and find their person, but we clearly can't control that 100%. But I think it's such progress to even just have these shifts of the way you talk about dating, the way you approach dating, the fact that you can recognize pressures you're putting on it. And, you know, we're going into this in this episode, there's no one right way to do modern dating and relationships. And, you know, we're going one step further of three people raising a child and doing it a different way instead of just the nuclear family. So we love that people are having these revelations at all steps of the process. And, you know, UA and I are just so excited to bring this back to people. So June 20th is the date 
Go to findingyourperson.com to get on the wait list. We are releasing the video series that gives kind of a sneak peek into what this program is. Well, you'll get a tip or two even by watching the video, but it will allow you to see like, is this something that would be a good fit for me? Because while we want everyone to do it, we want the people that also want to do it. So I think, yeah. you know, spots are limited. There's only two of us. So we want to make sure the people that are in there are really pumped to do it because, you know, like everything else in life, it's what you put in is what you'll get out. It's so important to sign up for the wait list because you will be getting some of this free content it gives you an idea of what the course is. But like Julie said, you'll learn a thing or two. And also just a, to give you a better idea of what to expect. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a personal friend who's in, enrolled in the program right now. Mm. And he texted me and said, I am not nearly done because I'm still processing. And that happens too. You know, it's yeah. completely self-paced, self-guided, uh, but we will do a call um, when you're enrolled in the program just to see how things are. And at the end of the program, you get to schedule a one-on-one -on -one with us or one-on-two <laughs> with us <laughs> just to tell us about your experience and feedback. So it's it's very valuable to have that one-on-one -on -one attention too, one-on-two -on attention. The theme is three. It's a group of three. <laughs> <laughs> Three. But yeah, I love that your friend is processing. Sometimes it takes a while to process and we give unlimited access. So just because the cohort finishes up in the allotted time when things are released doesn't mean that you're going to like lose access. So take yeah. the time you need. Revisit sections. We all know that dating is a process. It doesn't just stop at, oh, I did the, I listened to these three sections and did a workbook. Now I'm good to go. So yeah, yeah it's not like that. We poured our heart and soul into to this program. I mean, I'm so proud of what mm -hmm. we created. So if this is not something that we take lightly and we wouldn't be relaunching it if we didn't feel nope. completely behind it and just really believed in the information. Yep. And this will be our fourth cohort. We did one in yeah. 2021. We did a release in the fall in like September and then we did another holiday release and then we did a Valentine's Day release and now this is our spring release. So findingyourperson.com that's the website to go to and oh my gosh I like I just there's no transition for this but Julie you were just in Austin and you saw some dateable yes! fam yes! while you were there please do tell who you met. Oh my god I saw okay how many guests let me think i saw a bunch of past guests so i saw kat harris who mm -hmm. was one of our favorites from um it was season 11 episode 5 sexless in the city that was her episode and so i met up with her i met up with another past guest that was a friend of mine from san francisco but she was anonymous so i won't reveal her name <laughs> uh she went by katie on our podcast and her mm -hmm. episode was season two episode three two year ago so that one was way back I remember that one. <laughs> it's a good one. Yes. And then I, my best friend was there also staying in the Airbnb with me. And she was a past oh, yeah. guest. She was on. Well. Yes. And uh, was that it? I'm like, was there another past guest? A uh, singer. Oh, my God. Yes. We were staying in the Airbnb and there was this music venue nearby. The Continental mm -hmm. Club, I believe it was called. Mm. And my boyfriend is a huge live music fan. So, mm. of course, part of going to Austin is you listen to live music along with eat tacos and barbecue, which we also did. <laughs> and I saw this uh, venue and it was right next to our Airbnb. So I looked it up and who is the headliner? 
it is Donovan Keith. And I was like, how do I recognize that name? And immediately (laughs) I remembered he was on our podcast. He was season eight, episode 11, Dating Rhythm and Blues. And UA and I had met him at South by Southwest in Austin in 2019 at a podcaster's meetup. So while I didn't actually get to catch up with this guest, I did hear him live, which was almost better. He had this one... I was like, I think you and we might need to get a back on the podcast. He I think we should. did this like set. It wasn't really songs. It was kind of like a like like a I want to say like a poetry reading type of thing. And it was about mm. toxic relationships. And I was oh like, shit! I'm like oh, I might shit. need to hit him up. Be like, hey, I saw your performance. Want to talk about that in more depth? <laughs> That's great. He was a headliner. We can say we knew him when. Yeah, he was amazing. Exactly. <laughs> he had a lot of great. His stage energy was really good. My boyfriend also enjoyed it. And you know what? A small world, though. I was like, this is not what I was expecting. Such a small world. <laughs> what a productive trip. So that's four past guests. Four past guests. Yes, I did go for a wedding, which was also wonderful, but four past guests. So this is my other like quick Austin side note. Mm. Um, I was asking like, how is dating in Austin? Because, you know, I'm very curious. And Who are you asking? The Some of the past guests that I met up with that okay, lived there, the two of them. And this is a sample size of two, so we're not going that big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it like put out a poll in Austin and like as people walk by asking them so what's the dating scene like this was right, just right. in conversation with a couple people so cat had moved from new york mm-hmm. and she had a very interesting take like she you know part of her whole story is that she's christian so she was like oh like it's awesome everyone here is christian pretty much and then oh. my other friend was like you know it's kind of weird And she was like actually raised religious, so it's not, you know, that she's against this, but she lived in San Francisco where religion doesn't really come up that often. Mm -hmm. And she said that she sees on dating profiles all the time, like swipe left if you don't go to church. That's like very prominent. So, you know, to each their own, no judgments here, but I just wanted to call it out because it is definitely not something I've seen before in the locations I've been. Interesting. I did not pick up on that. I really thought it was a city of transplants from California and New York, which there are. But yeah, I guess the core. Yeah, and I'm sure it's not everyone, but the fact yeah. that she saw that you see pretty more prominently, it. and that was something she had never seen before in San right, Francisco. Right. And then Kat was saying, like, in New York, it was always like people were never going to church or they were, no. you know... Um, agnostic or even atheist so it was just very interesting that it was just so much more prominent and you know we we've been doing this long enough that there's definitely themes that persist over all the major cities for sure i think the basic struggles of modern dating are not that different place to place but there are nuances city to city for sure of like the makeup of who's there and just the dynamics as a whole it's still the south yeah, exactly. You know, no matter how liberal it is, it's still the South. Oh, so my God. That makes a lot of sense. We saw, like, no guns past this point sign. <laughs> wow. Wow. But anyways, it was a fun trip overall. It was f- just a different world a little, you know? There were some yeah. things that felt very at home for me, and then other stuff I'm not used to seeing signs about leaving your guns past a certain point. <laughs> That's Texas for you. Woohoo. Well, um, fun, always fun catching up with old guests. Yeah. And seeing them perform live music. 
you know? Yes. <laughs> and getting the updates from them. Part of what we love about doing this podcast is we create a community after we have someone on our show. So they become part of the dateable family. And then we feel like we get to visit them all over the world sometimes. Like when we were talking about 300 episodes, you know, this podcast has had many iterations. We started off with a male host. So like it's mm -hmm. gone a long way. But I think you and I have changed a lot over the last six years. Yeah, a lot. Good. Which is good. good. Hashtag growth. <laughs> <laughs> that growth mindset. And this episode will definitely give you, anyone listening, a, I don't know, food for thought about what growth could look like for you. And something in this interview we talk about is what is normal? What is normal? Yeah. Can we redefine what normal is? Instead of saying something is normal or abnormal or non-traditional and traditional, maybe we just call it what it is. You're in a three-parent family. You're in a multi-parent family. You're in a two-parent family. None of them is more normal than the other. It's just mm -hmm. we're calling them differently by what they are. Yeah, what I love about this as someone that, you know, is leaning now towards having kids, but, you know, still a little concerned. So mm -hmm. what I love about this is that you do it your way. I think my yeah. biggest concerns with motherhood and parenting and family is that, I'll lose myself and, you know, that will become my whole world and not that you shouldn't put your kid as a priority, but like, that's a fear of mine that I'll lose like all sorts of my own identity. And it was really reassuring to hear like, and we've heard this from other people too, that just because that's what you're fed on Instagram and what the media portrayal of being a mom is, you decide how it works for mm -hmm. you. It doesn't mean that you're like less of a parent because you do it differently. Like it doesn't mean there's less love there for your child. So yeah, I think that was really nice to hear that you can do it all if you do it in a way that works for you. Yep. Very inspiring. <laughs> cool. Well, I think without further ado, we'll probably just get into it. We've pretty much given most of our announcements. Just a quick plug at Dateable Podcast, love in the time of Corona. That's where you can follow us, stay up to date with all these announcements, the latest and greatest. And again, mark your calendar, June 20th, findingyourperson.com. Okay, let's hear from a few of our sponsors. This episode is made possible by Filter Off. So we hear this conundrum from you all quite a bit. You match with someone on an app, you exchange a few messages and get excited to meet them. And then when you do finally meet them IRL, you're disappointed. It's like they're a completely different person than the one you exchange messages with. We can't have this happen anymore because your time is precious. You need to check out Filter Off. With Filter Off, you can see the person you're matching with and actually get to know them over a quick video date before you waste your time getting ready, hopping into your car or onto the train. No more swipe fatigue, no more catfishing, no more text messages pretending to be dates. Imagine being able to go on a date that's not entirely predicated on someone's ability to send text messages because you'll have already seen them and talk to them for a few minutes and you'll have a better sense of who they are and how you get along. Imagine being able to find someone who loves you for you and not some silly profile of statistics. Download the Filter Off app or go to getfilteroff.com and use the promo code DATEME to receive five extra daily picks. Start making meaningful connections today at getfilteroff.com and use the code DATEME. Filter Off, date the person, not the profile. Let's hear it from Avery, Zeke, and David.
We've been doing this podcast for almost seven years. And if there's one thing we've learned is that there's no right or wrong way to do relationships, to do love, to do family. And just because our parents, our friends did it one way, it doesn't mean that it works for us. And ultimately, we just have to find what works for us. And it's very inspiring for us to meet people who've created their own families in a way that works for them. So thank you all for joining us for this conversation. We are in a mode of learning and curiosity. So we're going to do less talking and do all the asking (laughs) if that is okay. And if you can all just say a quick hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Yes, we've got Zeke, Avery, and David with us. And we'll kind of get into how the three of you are in one unit together. But I just want to do a quick introduction of all three of you. Zeke is 39, lives in Oakland, originally from North San Juan, California. He's married. Avery's 37, lives in Oakland, originally from New Jersey, married. And David is 40, lives in Oakland, originally from St. Louis, and is asexual and aromantic. And the three of you have a beautiful girl. And let's just go right into that. Avery, please tell us, describe to us the structure of your family. Absolutely. So the three of us are equal parents to our daughter, Tavi, and um, we've structured it that way very intentionally to be able to have more support. Uh, Neither Zeke nor I had any family living out here on the West Coast. And so we knew when we were ready to talk about having kids that um, that sounded kind of scary to do that alone (laughs) without without family nearby. And uh, been very close with David for like probably a decade at that point and knew that we wanted to to at least explore what it could be like to be a family together. And through that process, we realized equal legal co-parents was the best structure for us. Very interesting. And then Zeke, like, why did you seek out David? What was it about the traditional model that you felt didn't work for you? So Avery and I, we lived in San Francisco in the city for about 10 years, uh, and we always had adult roommates who lived with us, our entire relationship. You know, living with other people was was kind of normal for us. And when we decided, you know, we were, or when we were thinking, I should say, about having a kid, you know, we really reached out to our broader community and said, you know, who are our chosen family? Uh, mm-hmm. Who do we want to involve in our kid's life, you know, as aunts or uncles or, or something more? And, you know, we had been friends with David for a long time. Uh, and, you know, David is someone who identifies as asexual, wasn't entirely sure what a script would be that would let him, mm-hmm. you know, be involved in raising a child, but right. was really excited about doing so. Uh, and so when we brought that question up to him, you know, how do you want to be involved in, in our child's life? He sort of suggested that he might want to be very involved. Uh, and we explored that and ended up deciding that actually inviting him in as a co-parent made a lot of sense. You know, we get along really well with each other. It's so much easier with three parents, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's been great. And just for clarification, your daughter is biologically Avery and Zeke's. Correct. And David is the co-parent in this relationship. Got it. Okay, great. And then Avery and Zeke, you two are, I guess, legally married? Yes. So David legally adopted our daughter. Oh, interesting. Um, So that's what you're saying, Avery, about legal family unit. Okay, let's get to David then. David, (laughs) what made you want to join forces with Avery and Zeke? So as someone who identifies as as asexual, I remember when I was younger, really knowing two things. Knowing, first of all, that I deeply wanted committed partnership in my life. 
And like a lot of asexual people, especially at that time, I looked around at a world that had a lot of scripts for how you built close, committed relationships that didn't really have room for us, especially as someone who identifies as asexual and aromantic. I formed, you know, what felt right for me was to form really closely committed friendships, not necessarily to date people, not necessarily to have traditional romantic relationships. And I was looking around and saying, like, how do I build relationships I can count on in the long term? And especially, how do I have a relationship where I can have kids? I'm the oldest of three siblings. I'm the oldest of over 30 cousins <laughs> on both sides. Wow. I grew up around a lot of kids. I knew that kids were um, something I really, really wanted my life to be happy. And so as I started experiencing close relationships with couples like Avery and Zeke, like other folks in my life, where I would get to know one member of a couple and we would really hit it off. And then it'd be like, oh, I bet I would hit it off with the other member of the couple too. And that was very true with, with both of you. We just became really good friends. The, the energy between the three of us worked really well. I felt like I could show up in a way that was supportive to y'all's relationship really well. So I started you know, fantasizing about what it would be like to raise kids in that kind of a close relationship. And I think uh, I, I sort of dropped some hints to both of you that that was a thing I was thinking about in the abstract, like I was thinking about it with you, but I didn't I didn't come out and say that. And then when you all made a kind of formal invitation, I believe in 2015, where you were like, uh, that discussion, Zeke, that you alluded to where you said, hey, we want to invite members of our community in how would you like to be involved? It was a, a really powerful moment for me to kind of open an inquiry into, okay, what, like there's a traditional version of this, which is, you know, I come over, I help out, maybe when the baby cries, I give the baby back. And then there's a deeper <laughs> version of this. And is that like, are you open to talking about that? Uh, yeah. And thankfully you both, you both were. I love that you found your own way and what works for you. It's yeah. fascinating and kind of crazy that, you know, like what people think of of a family is still to hetero parents, <laughs> a mom and a dad, even though we actually found, and this is in 2014, so it's probably even more by now, that there was a Pew Research report that found actually that fewer than half of American kids mm. lived in a so-called traditional family environment. So maybe we'll start with you, David, but I'd love to know what family and parenting means to all of you. Mm, so I was really fortunate to be raised in like... I had I had a really fantastic family growing up. Um, my parents in St. Louis uh, were and are extremely loving. Um, I'm fortunate enough that they're they're still together and have a beautiful relationship that I've I think learned a lot from in my life and modeled. Even as someone who identifies as pretty queer and identifies <laughs> as not seeking traditional relationships, so I think I had a. Uh, a, th a thing I really wanted to reproduce, a kind of family I really wanted to reproduce in my own way and in a way that felt right to me in the way that I experienced desire for intimacy. And so I think being a parent means uh, it's, it's been about, I think, my desire to really show up kind of for our daughter to, to be there for the, the full breadth of her growth as a human and as someone who went through my own queer journey to like help her discover who she is and help her discover who she is with confidence, regardless of the expectations in the world that tell her who she's supposed to be. Love that. What about you, Avery? What's, what's your definition of family? Yeah, I would say that for me, it's... Um... A lot of it's been about chosen family. Mm -hmm. I uh, didn't have, unlike Zeke and David, I did not have a big blood family. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. everywhere my mom and I moved growing up, uh, there was always this sense of other adults, other children, folks who were invited in. And that was all like pre-internet. So it was really hard to stay in touch. But yeah. uh, for me, family are the folks that you make commitments to mm -hmm. and who you can count on when things aren't easy and who are there to celebrate when things are amazing. Um, and I think especially when I thought about being a mom, like 
we all have our versions of crazy and it seems really healthy for a kid to be exposed to like multiple varieties so so they're not just stuck with like your own single version of how you handle life you know love that and then zeke what about you yeah so i I think the idea of sort of the mother and the father and the kids in isolation with the house in the suburbs and the white picket fence, you know, is very much a modern thing, right? We traditionally lived close to family. We didn't often move that far from our parents and our parents would help us raise kids and our siblings would be involved and we'd be involved in their kids. And I feel like, you know, as we've moved away from that, we've lost a bit of appreciation of how important it is to have a community of adults around children. And so, you know, that's definitely something that that I value highly for myself. You know, my own upbringing was a fairly traditional family, um, you know, loving mother and father, very stable, had a, uh, have a sister who's three years younger than me. We got along quite well. I learned a lot from them. I, I greatly appreciate uh, the, the experiences I had growing up. Um, and they've informed a lot of how I want to, you know, help raise Tavi, even though I'm doing a slightly different script with uh, three parents. (laughs) Yeah, the isolation is real of just having two parents and the kids and in the suburbs with the fence. It's something I didn't grow up with in Chinese culture. We call all of our cousins brothers and sisters. So the word cousin doesn't actually exist in the language. And if you ask one layer deeper, what kind of sister, then (laughs) you can say, oh, it's my cousin from this side of the family, but there's just no term for a cousin. So I'm curious, what are the labels here? How do you introduce each other? Uh, So for Tavi, at least, I am daddy. David is dada. Ah, uh, And Avery is uh, mommy. But when we're talking to other people about our relationship, we often refer to David as our co-parents or, you know, say we're all parents. You know, we say Tavi has two dads, uh, for example, and a mom. It's interesting because we actually live next door to another family where the kid has two moms and a dad. So really? I feel like in the Bay Area, it might not be as unusual as uh, some other parts of the world. But <laughs> Well, yeah, I feel like when people hear three parents, they just assume polyamory. That's like the right. go-to of what's the assumption. Why is your situation different than that and not really the root of why you came together? Uh, I can... I can speak a little of that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say you know, we're a three-parent family. And I think that in, in some ways, it's not that different from our friends who are poly and that the three of us have a committed loving relationship where we are raising a kid together. I think the real difference is that I think in part because of my relationship style and because of both of your relationship styles, Avery and Zeke, the way that we got to this relationship wasn't through being lovers or being in a romantic relationship. It was through a really deeply committed friendship. Because of that, while I think there's many ways that we show up emotionally to support one another, logistically to support one another. There's very much a sense that the two of you, Avery and Zeke, are married and the three of us are co-parents. And uh, there, I remember when I first moved in, it was during the second trimester, I moved into your apartment and we had a few months to sort of figure out how to live together uh, <laughs> before a baby was there. <laughs> and I remember really thinking like, okay, I'm like, I'm showing up for our home and our family and I'm figuring out how do I integrate myself? How do we do domestic work together? How do we, you know, practice making decisions together on a day-to-day basis? And I'm also figuring out how do I show up for your marriage? How can I be there to support the time that both of you need mm. to be 
in relationship with one another, which is a thing that many parents don't get. Mm. And similarly, you know, I have other, as an asexual person, I have a community of important relationships in my life. You all, I feel like on a regular weekly basis are showing up to enable me to have the connection intimacy that I want in my, I need in my life. So I think there's a, there's a balancing there that is not that dissimilar, similar from polyamory, but kind of has, has a little bit of a different structure. And I feel like we can get more into that structure. Avery, I love to hear from you. I hear there's a, there's something on paper that we have, um, about your family structure. Can you go a little bit into that? Yeah, um, I think, you know, sometimes when you're in a dyad or just two people, it can be really easy to make a lot of assumptions that you know your partner so well that, of course, we don't need to talk about X, Y, and Z. Uh, but with three people, you cannot make that assumption. So you have to <laughs> you have to be extremely explicit about everything. And part of our journey when we were still sitting in that question mark space of like, is the uncle DJ who still lives in New York or like moving to San Francisco and being a full father? Uh, was this exploration around our families of origin, sharing stories from our childhoods of the things that we loved and we want to recreate, the things that we maybe never got to experience, but we've heard about and would want to try, and the things that we really did not want to repeat. And it was through that storytelling process that we realized how deeply aligned we were. It was also through that process that we realized some pretty major categories of conversation to have around things like education, hmm. discipline, how we want to introduce responsibility into a child's life. And through through that, we ended up, uh, David really took the lead on it, drafting a, a contract. Mm -hmm. And the contract was both so that we could just all be clear that we were all on the same page. But each of the categories also served as as an invitation to oftentimes a multi-hour conversation, sometimes about really difficult things, like what happens if one of us becomes incapacitated? Mm. What happens if all three of us yeah. were? What would we do? Um, what happens if somebody's incapacitated but doesn't acknowledge it? Mm. Um, how do you handle wow. that? Um as well as like the just, I think, normal logistical stuff, like what happens if one of us is offered a job in another city? Yeah. Uh, how do we decide to move the family? How do we decide to make a major purchase like house or car, which we have done? <laughs> and so I think the contract just really gave us a checklist almost of conversations to have. Honestly, probably everybody should be Yeah, having. I was going to say, I yeah. feel like everyone <laughs> should do this. Every couple. You know what's interesting? It's because like in polyamory too, we always, when we've talked to people that are polyamorous, there's so much more communication because there's more people involved. Yeah. And it's always it comes back to the same thing that even if you're in the most heteronormative relationship, we should be doing the exact same thing. And it kind of brings it up again here that now that there's more than one other partner, you can't be mind readers. You can't assume that you're on the same page of everything. I guess, David, like, how did you decide what should go in this contract? Like, what were the most important things, in your opinion, about modern parenting? So, so I think there, there were sort of two two components. One was, what's all the stuff where we're going to be, our future selves are going to be grateful if we figure out now how we want to go through it. Mm -hmm. Like what are what are the scenarios where it will be hard for us to communicate? And if we figure out now how we want to communicate then, and we can point to it then, it's going to be so much easier having had that discussion ahead of time. A lot of that sort of hard communication, I think we, we've had a, a number of like challenging or at least conversations that have had to be really intentional, um, but it's felt like that helped to build a muscle for us to have some of those hard conversations. And then most of it is not necessarily stuff that's hard. It's like the infrastructure of daily living. So 
Mm. When uh, uh, one of the things we realized in the first four weeks or so, first the baby came home and we were all just like, she'd be asleep. We'd all just be standing around her asleep <laughs> because that's what you do as, as a new parent, you know, for, for first time kid, you're Make like, sure okay, like, I feel on. Um, and and none of us- <laughs> None of us had, you know, could imagine having the capacity to do anything else emotionally in our lives. But then pretty soon we got to a place where you're like, okay, I want to start inviting in my like non just baby parts of my life again. And so we introduced this idea of like having shifts. Like there's a time where she's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you want to do something else, you can go do someone. If someone wants to make plans with a friend or they just want to like get some work done or they want to chill out and read a book or sleep, like they can do that. And I know that in three hours, they're going to be taking responsibility and I can either stay and play with the baby or go do my own thing. And so we early on figured out how do we evenly divide time where we're we're sort of holding primary responsibility because I think in way too many families, that time gets defaulted disproportionately to one person. And then that sort of flowed, a version of that has flowed through, you know, till now when she's four and a half. So I think there's there's a there's a, a huge amount of uh, intention that I'm really grateful for. That's just about how do we each know that we're all showing up fully? Mm. How do we avoid any scenario where there's like invisible work or the possibility of invisible resentment? And if that begins to show up, how do we have a place to talk about it so that we can get back to that value of all being equal contributors to the family and to this child's life? What I'm hearing right now is that this family unit is very much centered around your daughter. Now, when your daughter goes off to school or when you become empty nesters, have you discussed what that would look like when the child is no longer in the picture on a day-to-day basis? It's a good question. It's it's something we've talked a little bit about. You know, I think it depends a lot on what our lives look like and our relationships look like in a decade. At least right now, we all get along quite well with each other and enjoy living with each other independent of our daughter. And so hopefully it'll stay that way. But if things shift and we decide to our life takes different directions later on, then that's an option too. Yeah, I, I just add to that that, you know, I see any, any way it pans out, Zeke and Avery, you all are going to be some of the most important relationships in my life. And yeah. We're going to continue to be incredibly close, important parts of one another's life. And the most likely scenario is that I think we'll probably continue living together in the house that we own um, and and like be retiring together. And that'll be great. And like if there are other relationships or other communities that draw us for some of the year part of the year, like I can see scenarios where we'll do what we always do, which we'll sit down and say, what are the things we most want to build in our lives and how can we support one another in doing that? Let me know if you don't want to answer this. Are there any plans about more children in the future? And would you consider adding more people? people to your tribe here? Maybe Avery can answer that question. <laughs> I feel like Avery is holding I, all the power here. <laughs> I think we're all uh, kind of vaguely trying to like mind read consent from each other <laughs> on this question. <laughs> can you give me a thumbs up if I'm allowed to share? <laughs> oh, yeah, we got one, two okay, thumbs cool. up, yeah. three <laughs> thumbs up. Yay. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we are, we are actually planning for number two. Um, and, uh, in our proper fashion, we're not even going to start trying until much later this year, but we've already been talking about it for months and and planning how that's going to go and why we did raise the question about additional adults. And like, you know, I wasn't particularly attached to number two being my genetic child. So Mm. like, Mm. what would that mean if we had somebody else who wanted to have a kid? And I think that 
through kind of through playing with scenarios in in a mode of non-attachment we were able to each name where we had comfort or resistance and not feel like anything was just automatically ruled out so that we we were saying no to a scenario if that really wasn't what what we wanted and i think in in our case for our lives it makes more sense for the three of us to kind of go round two similar to round one so genetically me and zeke's and also you know there there wasn't someone else in our life at this moment where there was such a deep connection that it felt like an, a really natural next step to invest more and deepen a relationship towards that exploration uh, of joining as a fourth parent for example um, but we do know folks who have done that you know who have that four parent model but yeah I think for us it just it wasn't quite the right call for this time got it and what I'd add is that having gone through this process we also have this robust tool set for inviting other people in as chosen family even if we're not inviting them as equal co-parents mm. and so I think that there are a number of folks in our life where we're sort of sitting down and having conversations with them about how they can be a part of our family even if they're not fully invited as co-parents and I can see in the event that in the future someone were to be invited in, it kind of emerged out of that process. Like there's, there, it's, it's not an all or nothing. There's a, there's a way to do the, think about that invitation. Mm. Yeah, we, she has a lot of aunties and uncles that are, you know, <laughs> our chosen family, you know, and a lot of folks that we know who've chosen not to have children, uh-huh. but who want to have a relationship with a child or children in their lives. And so when you find that, it can it can create a really beautiful uh, symmetry. That what I'm gathering here is just a lot more formalization than the average, right? Because I definitely feel like I'm playing aunt like indirectly to like my best friend's children, but not in a formal way. I want to go back to the three of you in your connection. I guess we will start with Zeke and Avery. How did you two meet? Maybe Zeke, you can kind of take us through it. Sure. Uh, in you know appropriate fashion for us, we met at a science conference. Um, I'm a scientist. Avery was is a recovering scientist. Got it. I mean, um, Zeke's t-shirt right now for all of our listeners says climate science 101. <laughs> so, and I was giving a, a talk, and Avery was in the audience, and she came up to me afterwards, and. We chatted and grabbed drinks and sort of kept in touch uh, online for about six months after that. Then she came to, to New York City, where I was living at the time, on her boss's book tour. We really hit it off, started dating, did long distance for six months. And then uh, she sort of gave me an ultimatum, like, this is great, but I can't handle long distance thing. Will you move to San Francisco? And I was like, hell yes. And so <laughs> I ended up moving in, and uh, that was 2010. Okay. Yeah, so we got married four years later in 2014. Okay. And then how did you meet David? We also met at a conference. <laughs> so <laughs> So uh, David and I met at a social capital markets conference. Both of us have uh, green MBAs and have been working around making business a force for good. And through that process, we, uh, I think, you know, first really connected on a professional level uh, and went through a period of time where we were contracting and didn't really have colleagues in a normal mm. sense. And there was um, a lot of trust. And so I think very, very early on, there was there was something really great about being able to essentially have like a mutual non-disclosure agreement <laughs> that allowed us to, to share things with each other about our work lives and through that process getting to know each other more and more though he was the one who definitely popped the intentionality question which I had never experienced previously but was like super thrilled to have. <laughs> what Abe was referring to there is that a thing I learned to do 
tied to my kind of asexual and romantic experiences, as I began to form a really close friendship with someone, if I felt like that we were contributing a lot to one of those lives, um, after about a year, I would invite, as I, as I invited both of you, um, I'd invite people to go on a walk with me and just talk about a relationship as a relationship mm-hmm. and say, how are we showing up in our lives right now that we like? What are the what are the ways of showing up that we want to commit to that maybe we have we, are just things that have happened in the past we want to with greater intention? What are things we might want to explore that we haven't explored yet? And I think it was out of those discussions about intentionality that kind of the, some of the seeds of what became our co-parenting relationship discussions started growing. Okay. This is just, I think this is key here, right here. I, I think so many people who are dating right now do not have these conversations about intentionality or even about how they want to raise a family. And then they get into relationships and they just think they're going to figure it out ad hoc. And I think yeah. these are really key questions to be asking. So David, can you just repeat those questions one more time so people can have a chance to jot it down or even do a journal entry about it? <laughs> so, um, so I'll, I'll I'll repeat I'll, I'll maybe say say it a little, slightly differently, which is that to me as an ace person, a relationship is an understanding I have about how to spend time with someone. Mm. And so when I meet someone, we learn some things about how to spend time together, and then we kind of deepen that understanding together. And so when I would go on walks where I like have these intentional conversations. It wasn't just like, we're in a relationship, is that good? Like, do, do, do we want to be in more relationship or less relationship? It was, what are we doing together? What are the, what are the specific things that we discovered to do together that uniquely add to both of our lives? How do we celebrate that, commit deeply to that, and learn from that? Beautiful. And then Zeke and David, like, sounds like David, you met through Avery, obviously Avery and mm-hmm. Zeke you met. How did you start to like form a, cl- a closer bond, the two of you? So do you want to go first or should I? <laughs> I can go first. Uh, yeah. So I think the first time I met you, David, uh, you had known Avery through work before that. Um, but we picked you up to drive you somewhere. And I remember <laughs> spending the whole time asking him what this asexual thing was, because I'd never heard of it before. Um, hopefully didn't pepper you with too many questions. Um, but, you know, I really enjoyed the conversation. David was really smart, like talked about relationships in a much more intentional way than anyone I'd ever met before, which was fascinating. Um, you know, we sort of take a lot of relationships relationships for granted or sort of, you know, go by the seat of our pants. And he's someone who very much doesn't. And so that really struck me in our first meeting. Uh, And then, you know, we kept hanging out through sort of Avery work stuff and then later as friends uh, and sort of inviting David along for, you know, trips with other friends we did or, you know, to come and hang out at our house and play board games, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Lots of different things over time sort of built up a, a friendship. Oh, I was just gonna to, gonna echo that, Zeke. I, when I first met you, I was just really struck by your brilliance. You're someone who you know took just an interest in the climate and has really you built a place for yourself as as a leading contributor in the field. And so I think there's a there's a huge amount that I saw that I wanted to learn from you, and so many ways that I've seen more and more of this is show up as a father that you show up for the people in your life with such a deep and solid foundation of support. And so you've always been someone that I've, you know, for your brilliance, for your solidness, someone that I've just been really grateful to have around in my life. And I think I sensed that early on, like when I first met you, it was like, oh, I like, I see why Avery chose this one. <laughs> He's good. Um, and and so I, uh, I think our relationship sort of built from my side is built on that understanding. We're kind of coming back full circle to what Avery was saying about a chosen family. Now this is all ringing true for me, where yes, we were born into certain families, we don't have choices with them. But when you get to create a family together, you are able to choose the people that you want in your lives. And one way you've done that is your daughter has a very unique last name. What What is it composed of? Uh, so she is Octavia 
House Father Jay Kent. Though if you ask her her big name, she'll introduce herself as Supreme Galactic Commander. (laughs) Rightfully so. Uh, But Avery was the last Kent. Uh, There's no one else in her family with that last name. Everyone Mm. else is gone. And so she made sort of a promise to her grandfather that the name would not die out. And that was very, you know, important to her. And so, you know, we decided that uh, our daughter's name would, the last name would be Kent. And then House Father Jay is the middle name because putting that all in a last name would be a little too much to fit in most forms. <laughs> and <laughs> and we amazing. were um, we were advised, you know, from the lawyers that it is important for the child to have all the names on the birth certificate just mm-hmm. in case. Fortunately, living in the Bay Area, that hasn't actually been that big of an issue in terms right. of needing to like prove it. But that felt like a good idea <laughs> to to be cautious there. But for like baby number two, one of the things we talked about was last name, and baby number two will be actually last name Housefather because uh, oh. while Zeke has a bigger family, there actually aren't that many who have kept the last name Housefather mm. going. Whereas David's not even the only David J in his immediate family. So we're we're good on that front. <laughs> Housefather is just such a great name, by the way. I mean, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and we um, we always want to be able to like if we have to take her to the hospital or something, we always want to be able to point to her ID yeah. and our ID and show the the relationship. Well, that's what I think is interesting here. Is like we talked about it up top. It's like multi-parent families aren't totally unique. You know, you've seen it, but what you're doing feels different. Still, I think a lot of it is because you've made it so much more formal like in your opinion maybe Avery I'll start with you what else do you think is unique about your situation I mean I think speaking a bit from like the mom perspective on this and I'll be honest like this is usually what I get flack for when I say it but I never wanted mom to be my entire identity Mm. and I knew that from day one I knew I always wanted to be a mother but I'm also an entrepreneur and a business leader and a fire spinner and a baker and like I have all of these other things that make me me and I always knew if I lived a life where being a mom became my be all end all I'd resent it. And that didn't feel like a good role model for my kid, Mm -hmm. you know? And so part of this was also very intentionally seeking out a structure Mm -hmm. that would create space for me to have the things in my life that I felt were important and to also have the space and time for my relationship with Z. You you hear so many parents, like I'll have friends who have new kids and they're like a year and a half in before they've had their first date night. Yeah. And some of that's cultural, some of that's structural and logistical. And, you know, Zeke and I, we went to the restaurant Octavia because it was named after our daughter and we thought that'd be adorable. <laughs> it's a great restaurant. But I think that was like yeah. three, four months in <laughs> that we had awesome. our first date night. And so it also just felt healthy for our long-term marriage yeah. to, to be able to have space and time to do that relationship maintenance. And I, actually, that's a horrible way to put it, but like to nurture, to nurture our relationship. <laughs> How about that? You know, I think a lot of women can relate to that. And that's, you know, despite men in hetero relationships, like really stepping up and it's definitely not generations before where it all fell on the woman. But what I've heard from a lot of my friends that are parents is that it still does fall a lot on them and they become this mom identity and a lot of them struggle with that. So what I love about what you just said is it offers an alternative. It doesn't need to just be that. So I think that's so great. I guess, Zeke, like what from your perspective, how do you think your arrangement has is different and has maybe supported you too? 
Um, I mean, I'd echo what Avery says in, in giving us time to, to sort of deepen our relationship and, and not have it be all consumed by parenting, even though that's a huge part of it. But also, you know, I, I think in many ways, Avery, Avery and David have introduced process into my life. You know, they are the type of people who take meticulous notes on everything and have a million post-its. I'm sort of a, you know, fly by the seat of my fans, I'll just figure it out, which is good at times. But being able to put a lot of structure around childcare, to be able to have our, you know, weekly family meetings where we divvy up responsibilities for everything for the whole week for dinners and morning and evening shifts and all that sort of stuff and can really like schedule ahead of time, you know, when one of us wants to take a trip or two of us want to take a trip, uh, how to figure that out. The logistics of it has been really, really helpful. And I think, you know, I've just been blessed to find two people that I really get along with and that we don't really have much drama. Uh, and if we ever do, we have, you know, really good systems to get ahead of that and, and work through any issues we have. And then David, what about you? I, I think I'd, I'd echo what both of you have <laughs> said. And I'd say that I think not because it's intrinsically better, but because it's just our style, I think especially Avery and my style, we're, we're far on the kind of intentionality and process spectrum. We mm. get a lot out of having a family meeting with a recurring agenda that <laughs> where we get to figure all the stuff out and like being in a world where, you know, we wake up every day and a lot of things feel figured out. Like I think not everyone is as into that as we are and not everyone needs to structure their family that way. But um, for us, it works really, really well. And uh, I think some of that emerges from Avery and my history as facilitators, my history in collective mm. living, like my history in ACE relationships feeling like unless I had another way to be explicit and intentional, I could know if something was, if a relationship was real because I didn't have the scripts of dating to fall back on. And I think that for us, that's that's worked really well. And it's always exciting to get to share that with people sort of with the knowledge that it's not the only way to do it. Let's hold that thought for a few messages. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC. THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm 
often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, Neil is going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that I'm just kind of thinking about noodling on is the fact that the three of you have a lot of this figured out, and I'm sure there'll be more things to figure out as you go along. But then there's also the external world who needs a little bit of catching up. And I would imagine in schools, there could still, I mean, the Bay Area is very progressive, but there's still some archaic things that happen like the father-daughter dance. So I'm curious to know like, if you've encountered this yet and how have you been able to, I guess... I don't even know, educate people or even to change the system? I feel like forms are, are the bane of our existence. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the form you had right. to fill out for us. And David's <laughs> like, I don't know what to pick here. There are so many forms where there are only space for two. Yeah. There isn't like structurally space to have a third. So we have had to like make requests, you know, with school and stuff to say like, nope, we're we're adding a third profile here because that legal parent like that has to happen or having to choose like which of the two of us gets listed on a thing. And it's not always the same too. We we kind of like roll the dice. It's like, it's not like Zeke and I are the default mm. one and two that get listed on something. Sometimes it's Zeke and David, sometimes it's me and David. And so yeah, I think that there's, there's a a structural piece around how folks ask for information. Mm. Uh, But I do think living in the Bay Area in general has inoculated us against a lot of Mm. some of the other more traditional scripts, though, dude and Zeke, I'm curious 
Yeah. I mean, certainly a lot of times if David and I are out with Tavi doing something, people assume we're a couple and right. that's, you know, completely normal around here. <laughs> um, but I, I think it has at least so far been pretty, you know, we, we haven't had any major issues like, you know, someone can't get into a hospital room or something. And, you know, I, I don't know how that would be different if we lived in, say, Missouri instead of Oakland. Yeah. So who is going to the father-daughter dance? Everybody? <laughs> Do they even have father-daughter dances anymore? I feel like that's like not the right terminology. Yeah, my friend's kid just went to one. I had to, I, really? I had to cringe a little bit yes yes in la <laughs> who's the best dancer that's who de- that's how you decide <laughs> yeah we, we would try to to push try try to push the boundaries and then we'd flip on it and we'd see you know who's who's most excited about dancing or we'd send avery <laughs> is there an audition process <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Show me your moves. <laughs> I'm curious, why was it so important to make this all legal for you all? Like, why make you legal co-parents? Because that seems mm-hmm. like a big factor in all of this. So the real, because we had made strong commitments to each other and, you know, we trust each other. But the one thing that came up over and over again, particularly talking to lawyers about this, is that you can make a legal financial commitment to someone that's enforceable. Like I'm going to help pay for like split costs associated with a child, for example. You cannot make a legally enforceable parental agreement. We cannot sign a piece Mm -hmm. of paper that says David is allowed to see Tavi no matter what. You know, he does not have legal parental rights and there's no way for us to give them to him unless he is a legal parent. There's just no system that exists in in our legal framework for that. And so, you know, we realized it would create, you know, obviously, unless something goes really wrong, these things generally wouldn't come up, but it could down the road create some really bad dynamics for David if something did go wrong and and suddenly he wouldn't be allowed to see Tavi or see our daughter anymore. I'd echo that most of the work we did was to understand how to reach agreements ourselves, because family court is never a place we want to be outside of the actual adoption process. But it's reassuring to know that in in the unfortunate event that we'd get there, there wouldn't be a huge power imbalance. So we went through the traditional adoption process, which was weird. <laughs> so De- Zeke and I filled out the paperwork as if we were giving away our child. Whoa, okay. Um, and so the paperwork is identical to a normal adoption. So we, we answered all the questions as if we were giving away our child. And then at the end, they scratched out the part where we actually say we're giving up our rights oh, and just like initialed, no, they're not. So it's, that's enforceable. I mean, it <laughs> they just scratched it out. more formal than that, but not really. Um, and and then David went through the adoption request side of the equation, and it took about eighteen months. Um, wow. And it was actually really funny because we ran into some ways that that system is really not thinking about our use case where um, we ended up having to go, Zeke and I had to go, end up going through a lot of things like background checks, fingerprinting, home study, da da da, because we were David's roommates, mm. not because we actually were the biological parents. So we, we went through a scrutiny process that's pretty intense and rightfully so for the adoption process, but that is not one that people go through when they just have a child. <laughs> Wow. So this real, so no one had really seen this before that you talked to. No, that's not, um, so thank, thank goodness to our gay and lesbian allies and friends okay, who came great. before. Um, most of the use cases of this law before were, say, a gay couple having a third parent with their, uh, with their surrogate 
or a lesbian it. couple having a third parent with their sperm donor. So that that's where the legal framework and structure came into place. I do believe we are the first ones to utilize that law to bring in so- literally a friend, somebody with no legal or biological relationship. Oh, fascinating. Signing paperwork like you're giving away your child just so you can be in the system for David to adopt your child. That's fascinating. Well, this has been such a fascinating conversation all around, but I guess maybe we'll start with Zeke, but kind of before we go into some takeaways, I'd love to hear like, what advice would you give to people that are considering more of this non-traditional route of co-parenting, of parent, like just approaching things differently? Um, If you find the right people and you get along really well and you have processes to deal with conflicts that come up, it can be really rewarding. You know, it does really take a village, uh, particularly if you're raising a kid. Uh, And so having more people around and more people involved can make life easier for everyone. You know, at the same time, it is a huge commitment. You have to make sure this it's it's almost like getting married in a way. Right. You have to make sure this is someone you're willing to spend an inordinate amount of your life with. uh, And you can manage that without killing each other. And, you know, that's hard enough for married couples sometimes. And so, you know, we in some ways are lucky that we found three people uh, that we all get along so well. But, you know, other people could, too. Just, you know, be careful what you're getting into. And then what about you, David? I think I, I would echo that and just say that there is a lot of power in being able to build trust intentionally. I talk to a lot of friends that are pregnant. And I'll say like, okay, think about who you really know and trust in your life. Now think about, can you imagine building more trust with them? So even if they're not showing up as full co-parents, they're showing up intentionally in the life of your child. Thinking about how, how do you invite people in to having shared relationships with kids? What's the trust you need to build? And how do you, how do you go on that journey of building trust together? Um, I think it'd be really fruitful, even for people who are thinking about traditional families and definitely for people who are thinking about non-traditional. But I, I think I'd, I'd really echo Zeke and like, it's a really serious commitment. It takes that work, work of trust building, but the work mm-hmm. is really worth it. And then Avery? <laughs> First, I'm going to be a stickler about language because I think actually what we're doing is the traditional version. We're just doing the non-nuclear version. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also, building off of what David said, invite folks to really think about degrees, right? So it's not an all or nothing, right? Who is somebody that you would be comfortable having change your kid's diaper Mm. or giving them a bottle or putting them down or watching them when you're not home or picking them up from school, right? Like there's, when David talks about like graduating trust, like you could be an absolute yes on the first three and a no on the third, fourth. And that's fine. So long as you both know where that boundary is. And I would say that that applies beyond children, that that's in all of our relationships. You know, who's who's somebody that you're going to call at 2am because you desperately need to talk to someone uh, or who's going to pick you up from the airport when your stuff falls through, right? Like we all have those things in our lives. We just don't tend to name it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of power in language and in naming something. And, and just that explicitness. Yeah. Has Tavi ever come home and said, my friend so-and-so only has two parents? How do you explain uh, that? She hasn't said that from a friend. Uh, the The story we shared before was um, we got a, a book called S- Sylvester and the Magic Pebble about a donkey that finds a pebble and turns into a rock. And at the end of it, they come together and it's the baby Sylvester and his two parents. And she's like, well, where's the data donkey? <laughs> and we're like, well, Sylvester doesn't have a data donkey. He just has a mommy and a daddy. And she's like, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> 
Well, this has been such a great conversation. I mean, I think I have two major takeaways from it. I think the first is, you know, the benefit of modern dating and relationships is that we choose what works for us, that there is no script. And, you know, that could be scary because we don't know what to do, but it also can afford us a richer life. And, you know, you just doing things our way. I loved like what Avery, you said that, you know, like this allows you to have an identity that goes beyond a mother. And David, this allows you to have a family where like traditionally asexually, it would be more difficult. You know, there's so many factors that allows us to create the love life we want. And that extends into our families and parenting in the whole nine yards. So that's the first takeaway. The second I have is intentionality. We often talk about on this podcast, intentionality when dating, when finding a partner. But what I've picked up here is how much intentionality stays throughout the whole process, especially parenting and family and what happens after you know you find that person and you check off all the boxes and do all the milestones all of that this doesn't stop this is something that is what keeps great relationships we can't expect people to be mind readers i think this intentionality even if you are having the most nuclear of nuclear families that is something that could get carried over. So those were my major takeaways. Love all those. I echo everything you said. And one thing that really comes to mind is everyone listening to this podcast should think about what is your definition of family? Something we feel like we know what it is, but I think putting it into words and like you said, Avery, putting labels on on those feelings really uh, help people steer them in that direction. We recently had someone wrote in and said, thank you for asking me this, asking me this question about family because I realized I want a kid, so I'm going to be a single mom. And then I will date and have fun with the people I date. But all, but at the end of the day, my definition of family is me and my child. And that's wonderful too. So I think it's good to take a pause and define what family means. And then in dating, we spend so much of our time reading each other's minds, playing these games. Oh, I could maybe see myself building a family with this person. Well, ask the question, right? Even in early dating, there's no need to wait for the third date or the fifth date, I think to talk about your vision and to Mm -hmm. talk about what it is that I see myself building and see if the other person is also aligned is there's nothing wrong with that because that is the end goal is that you want to build something with people or by yourself. Yeah, I think it almost releases some pressure too. So you can do things the way you want to do them and you don't need to follow this path. And if you don't do that and you're not on it, then you're like not going to ever have a family. Like I think that's the part that gets in so many people's way that this pressure is, it's, it's polarizing and it doesn't allow people to just form those connections. Yeah. Yue, could I add something to what you shared about asking Please. that question? Because sometimes the question can actually be really intimidating. Mm. And I think part of what we found so powerful was letting it emerge or discovering it through shared storytelling. Mm. Mm. Talk about sharing the stories of your family of origin, of your childhood, the stories that make you come to life, the things that represent what you want. And in that storytelling, you can uncover that resonance and you can uncover if there's really alignment there. Cause I think sometimes if it's, if it's faced as just a head on question that that can be a little paralyzing sometimes. Yeah. And maybe people don't know how to answer it on the spot. That's a very good point. I love that through storytelling and through storytelling, it does come discovery. And I, I think that's great. 
Is there any other parting words, David or Zeke, that you have? Uh, I think I'd, I'd echo what you were saying earlier of just really encouraging people to think about all the ways that if family is important to you, think about all the ways that people might show up to contribute to that. Mm -hmm. Don't just think about like, like it may be really important to find a romantic partner with whom to build family, but don't think about that as the only like path to having a supported life. Because even if it's there, it, it most of the time isn't the entirety of the path. Yeah. So thinking creatively about how many relationships can come together to build a family, I think also allows us to release some of that pressure to have the one perfect relationship that lets us do it. And instead say like, okay, I'm, go I'm going to plant a lot of different seeds of connection with people. And I'm going to see how they grow. And I'm going to like see what emerges from them and then invite that, invite those relationships into building family with me. I love that. So often like people think like, oh, I just need my friends until I meet that person. And that is so far from what probably really needs. So I love that aspect of one person can't be your everything. It's just so much pressure, even when you found an amazing person. And then Zeke, anything that you want to add to close us out? Just for a lot of us, especially, you know, living in far flung parts of the country, our friends are an important part of our family. And so don't be afraid to, you know, if it's right, to ask them to be part of your family. You know, families don't have to necessarily involve romantic relationships with all the participants. In fact, in some cases, it can be more stable when they don't. Or, you know, if, if it works, it works for you. But I think that, you know, invite your friends in, you know, figure out what the dividing line for you between friendship and family is and, and how that works. Um, and in many ways, you know, we're, we're going into a world with more chosen families. And I think that can be beneficial for a lot of people. I love that so much because I think sometimes too people feel like, oh, when my friends get married and have kids, they're just gonna leave me. You know, like that's going to be, I'm going to be the one person, but how can you, you know, one, if you're in that case, just show that you want to be part of this family, but then also if you are more of a nuclear family model, invite that person in. I love that so much. And I know that you've all been interviewed by multiple media outlets. If people want to learn more about your story, where can they find out more information? Yeah, so we're always happy to chat with folks who are exploring this. Uh, we don't have anything like formal for that. But um, if they reach out to you all uh, looking to connect with us, we'd be more than happy to learn more about their journey and, and see if there's things we can share uh, about ours. Awesome. And you had a really, really good write up in the Atlantic too, that we'll link in this. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for this open conversation. I I personally learn a lot, and I know our listeners will too. Uh, one way to invite everyone in is, hey, why not go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars <laughs> in reviews? <laughs> I got to transition it there somehow. Sorry. Sorry if it cheapens the content. But we, that's our livelihood. Uh, five stars or a love note, something about that. And we also want to hear about your way of doing family or doing relationships. So we're always looking for those stories. You can email us at hello at datablepodcast.com. Thank you again for this lovely conversation. And we will wrap this up. Stay Dateable! <laughs> The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us. We look at all of those posts. 
Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.